From initial dream of being a doctor, to interning with NASA, to eventually landing in the C-suite at Intuit, Atticus Tyson has traveled a long and winding road. As the CIO of Intuit, a company which makes products such as QuickBooks and TurboTax and brings in more than $5 billion a year in revenue, Atticus has a lot of responsibilities on his plate. IT, he says, is the Achilles heel of an organization, and being in charge of IT for a company as large as Intuit means there are many challenges, but just as many exciting innovations and success stories. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Atticus discusses all of that and more, and he digs deep into how the processes and products Intuit creates ultimately always comes down to what is best for the customer. Enjoy this episode. This podcast is sponsored by the Salesforce platform, the low-code app development platform that empowers anyone to easily build, publish, and manage AI-powered mobile-ready apps for employees and for customers. In this mini-series on all things integration, we are excited to partner with MuleSoft, the number one platform for APIs and integration. With Salesforce and MuleSoft, every business can unlock new connected experiences and drive digital transformation by connecting any app, data, or device. Learn more at mulesoft.com about. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And across from me, at an Intuit location, semi-undisclosed, Atticus, what's going on? Hey, good to meet you, Ian. Good to have you here. We're going to talk about all things your career, and we're going to touch on a bunch of uh, interesting IT tidbits and side notes along the way. But first, how'd you get into technology? Yeah, you know, uh, that's an interesting question. I um, when I started off, I, I went to Stanford. I started off as an English major, pre med, and I was going to be a physician uh, who wrote poems, I guess. Uh, and I decided <laughs> after doing that for the first year that I really didn't want to be a physician. Uh, I hated organic chemistry, uh, which is maybe another side story. Seriously, uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't like uh, organic chemistry until I started making wine, and then I knew the reason to understand organic chemistry. But um, that should be in the class. That should be lesson one. It should be lesson one. It would make a lot more people interested. Uh, that and beer making. Yeah. But um, so when I decided I didn't want to be a doctor, then I had to figure out what to do. So I did an internship out at NASA Ames, uh, supporting uh, bed rest studies. They were trying to study the effects of space. So they were having people stay at a negative six degree mm-hmm. angle for like m- multiple months. And they would study the effects of that on the body because that mimics being in space. Yeah. And so I was there thinking I would be a researcher instead of a physician. And then I saw these guys over in the quarter kind of hunched around keyboards doing interesting things. And they were uh, using a PDP-11. So that'll tell you a little bit about how old I might be. Uh, and they were programming in Fortran. And I was talking to them about what they were doing. And I became super interested and uh, went and bought a book on Fortran and discovered I am home. Uh, And then so I went back to Stanford, did a computer science degree, and the rest is history. You know, it's funny on the space stuff. um, (laughs) Elegantly put, Ian. uh, The space stuff. But yeah, it's like human bone... um, like densitometry is like you spend a year in space and it atrophies your bones like forty percent. Absolutely, or yeah. crazy. Yeah, um, space is not a good place for humans. No, it's crazy. It's like extremely terrible for your bones. I mean, but it's such an interesting uh, kind of you know foray into technology because when you see the you know the real world mix with the digital world, uh, I think a lot of people are transfixed by that. Um, so what was your, what was your first gig out of, uh, of school? 
Uh, first gig out of school was at Apple. Uh, I worked in the IT department there. Uh, and I was creating shop floor control systems for the factories and got to spend time in Cork, Ireland and Singapore, kind of writing shop floor control systems because we were using Macs to build Macs. Uh, and that was super fun. Uh, and then from there, I went into uh, the OS group and we, I wrote the digital signature toolbox for the Mac OS so that you could do digital signatures. Um, and then from there, went to do voicemail systems at another company called Octel and, and on and on. But uh, So I moved. I, I had forgotten this, actually. I started my career in IT uh, and then moved into doing product engineering stuff. Well, yeah, and uh, so I was going to ask that, that you spent, um, what, like 11 years outside of IT when you were at Intuit right. uh, and then came back into it. What was that like? So it was interesting. I started at Intuit doing intellectual property protection. Even. Oh, no way. Yeah, I came back uh, in 1999. I was at a startup. I'd been there for eight years, and we sold it. Uh, 1999 was a great time to sell a startup. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just the time. The timing. Uh, and I took a year off, and I was out in Michigan being a farmer and kind of being away from the valley and decided to come back. And I didn't want to be an engineer just yet. So again, anyway, and so... This intellectual property thing sounded interesting, uh, and Intuit. I've been a lifelong user of Quicken, and thought it was a pretty cool company. And they needed somebody who understood patenting and to explain why it would be important to engineering teams. Uh, and so I got to spend two years going around the company, finding out what was cool, and uh, creating a patent disclosures with outside counsel and create a funnel. And it was a great way to learn the company and a great way to meet people. Uh, so that was my start in the company. And then I did product management and then led engineering teams. And then, as you said, went to IT after 11 years. And the reason I did that is I really felt IT was our Achilles heel. Uh, we, I would always hear from product teams, well, the reason we can't do that is because of IT. Mm -hmm. And eventually I thought, well, let's go fix that. Uh, I love the company. I've loved my ride here and wanted to try to give back and try to help. And I thought, I'm an engineer. How hard can this be? We'll just fix it. Turns out IT is not a technology problem. Yep. It's more a human problem uh, and technology problem. And so now I've been doing the role for five and a half years and really love it. It's a great role. I love that you said that because um, we were talking earlier today um, with, with someone about this idea that you know, IT 10 years ago versus now is a completely different set of problems than, um, and you could say that maybe there's some principles there that are obviously like core, you know, through, but um, the role, obviously we all know the role of the CIO is changing. <clears throat> How did you go into the role? What were those first 90 days after, you know, you'd been with the company a long time, you kind of thought you knew how the company worked or maybe you, uh, uh, you did know how the company worked, but didn't know how IT worked. What was that first like initial transition period like? Yeah, actually, I'll pick up on what you said about the company working first, and then I'll come back to that. <laughs> I, I, you're actually onto a really important point. I don't think I, I did understand how the company worked. Uh, when you, but when you're in a role like IT or maybe finance, you begin to understand really how all the parts integrate yeah. uh, and how things operate. And so I think those are two really great roles. If you want to understand end-to-end -end how a company really operates, uh, be in IT or, or in finance. Um, so that's been a great benefit of being in the role is learning how the company really does operate and where the money flows and yeah. where the issues are. Uh, it's good for that. But my first 90 days, you know, it was really, there was a very large... Um, 
kind of typical IT project that had been going on for a couple of years to overhaul all of our financial infrastructure. Uh, and it was late and risky. And so I remember the first couple of weeks on the job, the decision was, do we ship this thing or scrap this thing? Uh, and I had no um, background to really make that decision, but yet I still had to make that decision. Yeah. Uh, and working with a lot of really good people to figure it out. And we decided we would ship it, but there was risk to the company because a lot of things weren't implemented. And over the last next couple of years, we had to fix a lot of bugs that were either causing customer issues or causing you know, billing issues, but we eventually cleaned it all up. And so I would say the first year on the job was mostly spent putting out fires, learning technology. But then after that, it was about really learning what the job of CIO is really all about, which is advantaging the company through technology. Mm -hmm. And you have to, and this is maybe back to your point 10 years ago, I think if you were the CIO, your job was to implement stuff. Mm -hmm. Now as a CIO, your job is not to do that. Your job is to help make sure your company is using technology the best it can. And it doesn't mean you own everything and it doesn't mean you operate everything, but it does mean you're trying to make sure it's secure and it scales. But technology comes from all over the place. And as the CIO, you've got to have a view of all of that and really make sure your company is doing the best it can. That's a very different job than implementing. And so I, I think I spent the first year or so putting out fires and operating and then morphing more into understanding how the business operates and then what technology you need to make that happen. Yeah, I think it's that this idea of like centralization versus decentralization. And uh, there's a great book, um, Starfish and the Spider, where it talks about when something is centralized um, and it tries to fight something that's decentralized the decentralized thing just gets more decentralized, right? It's just going to find places to hide. So I think a lot of times you have these leaders that are trying to like make sure they have governance by like saying, well, this is like how we do things. But ultimately, <clears throat> whether it's bring your own device, whether it's, you know, people buying their own software or doing freemium models or whatever it is, like people are going to find other technologies. Uh, it's going to happen now. And especially if you have a huge organization, um, thousands and thousands of vendors are potentially uh, going to be used that you don't know about. And if you don't have some type of, uh, you know, code or some type of um, framework that you look in and evaluate and help with that stuff, then, you, you know, you're just not going to be successful. How do you, like, help the business leaders on your teams, like, evaluate technology? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think, you know, one of the things I love about being at Intuit is we're a 36-year-old startup and we super, we, um, you know, we super support all of our entrepreneurs. We believe everybody should be entrepreneurial in the company. And so that really encourages people to go out and, and pick the right tools and talk to vendors and get their own ideas. So we, we definitely uh, see this here at the company, but we're trying to embrace and honor it as opposed to say no. And one of the things we talk about in IT is our job is really to say how, not no. And so when somebody comes and they want to do something, the first step is to just understand what are they trying to do uh, before saying no. And this has been a journey we've been on as an IT organization because what I found is people in IT almost always know the hundred reasons why something shouldn't happen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they know all the risks, they know all the problems. And if they lead with that, that plays right into all the old tapes of the IT department is slow and they, you know, they don't move fast. And so you can't fall into that trap. You got to just hold that back a little bit 
and first try to understand what is the business really trying to do. And then you can start to say, well, here's a couple ways you could do that. And you know all the ways you're going to keep it safe, but you can keep that to yourself for a little while because otherwise you'll squash the idea. And, and to your point on the spiders, they're just going to they're going to go around you or they're going to go do their own thing anyway. But instead, if you invite them in and enable them, then they'll come to you next time instead of going around you. And so a lot of the ways that I use is just be curious. Go learn about other functions. Uh, the one I'm working on the most right now is marketing. Uh, and I, I'm learning a lot uh, just about how marketing works. And it's super interesting to me. Uh, and then I can begin to bring what I have to bear is, you know, te- thoughts about technology and how to keep things safe and how to manage data to that conversation. So that's so funny you say that. Um, we just had, um, we just did an episode with uh, Rajesh, who's the chief architect at SignalFX. Um, and in the room was Tom Buda, who's their CMO, because um, we did their interviews back to back for different shows. And so they both sat in on each other's interviews. And what was so crazy is like having those two folks in the room together talking about these challenges and just the number of through lines that you have between marketing and uh, IT, both from a, you know, both are generally speaking like the youngest in the C-suite, uh, both are fired the fastest in the C-suite. <laughs> right. um, and you have, you know, a lot of these parallels and they have embraced uh, technology in a way that like you cannot live without it. Um, and obviously like, no kidding, IT needs technology, you can't live without it. But I think that ultimately, like other people's technology, you can't live without, which is something that I think is a little bit more new. Um, I, I'm curious to, to go down the rabbit hole a little bit on like, what have you been learning about marketing that, that you found surprising? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the first thing I found surprising is just how much technology they're all using. Yeah. Uh, more than I even realized. Uh, and how, um, you know, I think by its nature, the marketing folks, many of them, they're thinking very tactically. Uh, they're trying to get a campaign out. They're trying to meet a certain number. They're trying to feature a certain product or, or get a certain uh, response through A-B testing or whatever they're trying to do. And so they're thinking very um, short to medium term. Mm-hmm. And... They, they don't shy away from thinking long. They just don't naturally do that. And I think one of the areas where IT and marketing can work well together is by bringing that long view into what they're trying to do. Because uh, I don't really want to stop them from picking the right tool to meet their needs this quarter. But what I do want to do is don't pick, don't have three business units pick the same, pick different tools to do the same thing yep. or to not have the data flow. And so what I can do is kind of bring that view. And so one is just how much technology they're using. I think the other thing I've learned is, frankly, how sophisticated they are in really beginning to understand you know, uh, segmentation and really begin to understand what small populations of customers are out there and deeply understanding them. And as a company, we've prided ourselves for a long time of having deep customer empathy. Mm-hmm. And I think our marketers are the group that's the furthest ahead of thinking of that in a data-oriented way. Uh, and how structured they are about you thinking about data. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, we talk a, a ton on this show about customer experience, right? And it's like, if your customer experience doesn't have IT and marketing, like a lockstep, it's like both of those people <laughs> have so much say in that customer experience and have so many different touch points. And if, and then ultimately, like, obviously the, 
your employees are the most important part of the way that you deal with with customers. So if their technology isn't uh, allow them to, uh, you know, uh, Joanne says, uh, uh, stay on offense, you know, not on defense, right? Like score points. It's just going to be really difficult. And, and not just with marketing, but how do you align with your other business partners to make sure that you're solving those needs? Yeah, that's actually another area that I've evolved my thinking on. Because I originally, when I started in the, in the IT group, since I came from product teams, I kind of thought, well, I'll just organize like a product team. I'll yeah. have product managers and architects and designers and all of this. And naturally, I think of what I do as a product. And it turns out not everybody else had that same idea. Uh, <laughs> everybody else thought I was doing whatever they told me to do or whatever they, yeah, whatever they wanted me to do. And so it's been an evolution <laughs> of how to work with each function. How I work with finance is very different than how I work with marketing, is very different than how I work with our people and places team. And part of it is meeting them where they're at. So working with the finance team, they are super structured, they get needing to be rigorous. And so we can work on, in fact, they don't really want to be less rigorous. And the whole idea of working with our finance team and trying to get down to releasing and biweekly scrums and using things like feature flags, we had to work really hard to get the finance team to be comfortable with that, mm -hmm. ultimately to the point of giving them the control over the feature flag so they could say when it was time to release it. So they would allow us to do those kinds of things. On the other end of the spectrum is working with marketing. Or they want to try a new thing every week. Yeah. And so I have to work with them more in a loose touch way, but with guidance around and security and those kinds of things. So what to answer your question, how I work with each partner is very different. Uh, and it depends on their needs and, and their mentality. And so for some, I have like a steering committee that meets every two weeks. We're super rigorous. And for some, we kind of meet in more of a chat session. I, I love the, the point about, you know, marketing specifically using a bunch of different tools. Um, because if you're at the cutting edge, like you need to be testing what's relevant. Like right. if you, you know, if you found Snapchat as a marketer in 2013, like you had a huge advantage over all the other marketers. Um, and so you need to be testing like different, different things. But I think it's also to your point about the larger point about people liking certain technologies. Like if one person likes vendor A and one person likes vendor B and one person likes vendor C, just because they like the UI better or like they like, you know, the funny emails that they get or whatever it is, yeah. um, that doesn't help with the governance as a company. And it doesn't help three years from now when we, you know, chose a software because like that one has like a, a cleaner UI, but doesn't actually integrate. Um, how do you look at governance of, of all those technologies? Yeah, I, I think it, it starts with ultimately what's going to be best at the end of the day for the customer of the company. If providing a unified experience for the end customer is important and everybody agrees that it's important, you're going to have the right level of governance kind of fall out of that, where you're going to have governance around maybe the way you touch the customer, uh, tracking that and being able to have a consistent view. So before you blast a marketing campaign at somebody, you'll be able to see what other marketing campaigns they've already gotten. And if you don't do that, you might end up sending them campaigns that don't make sense. If as a company that doesn't matter, like if you really are five separate products and you know there's not a lot of overlap in your customers, then you don't worry so much about that. And so I think it has to start with what's the experience you want to provide your end customers and let that conversation naturally happen. And I think often the role of the CIO or the head technology person 
is to force that conversation a little bit because the individual product teams may not see it and may not understand it. And so, but you have to force it. It doesn't mean you should decide which is the right technology, but you have to force them to have that conversation. How do you look at like the difference between uh, like IT versus like technology versus uh, security? That's a super great question. The way we're organized is we have a chief technology officer and then all technology folks basically report up to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Either dollar or solid, it doesn't matter. We all kind of report up to her. And so before I became the CIO, the IT department was separate and it reported directly to the CEO. Oh, interesting. But I felt, and the company felt as I became CIO, the better thing to do was to put us under the CTO and to create harmony across the technology organization. Mm -hmm. And the lines of who provides what experience are now so blurry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, this last year in the, you know, our, our TurboTax Live product, um, the underpinnings of how to talk to an agent with video, the scheduling of the agents, mm-hmm. all of that came from the IT organization. Yeah, exactly. Yep. But then it was presented to the customer on top of that platform by the tax organization. And those teams just have to naturally work together. And it's odd, but somehow if the team is separate and you call them IT, nobody wants to work with them. So just by changing the structure, it makes things a little bit easier. What a world, huh? Yeah. Um, Oh, and then do you have a CISO? Oh, sorry. Yes, we have a CISO. CISO also reports to the CTO. You got Uh, it. Yeah, yeah. And so, and the way our CISO works is the CISO sets policy across the whole company uh, and also has, you know, the red team and other parts of how you would have your normal security apparatus. But then each of us, like I have an enterprise security team, the products have security teams. So we're in charge of implementing and instrumenting. And then the CISO sets policy as well as monitors and responds across. So how much time do you spend with customers I and like your team? Yeah, so we spend time, it depends on which, which team. So for instance, if you're doing internal workforce tools, your customer is the workforce, and so they'll spend time with custom, with our internal workforce. Yep. If you're um, doing customer service technology, you'll go spend time with agents. Uh, our team that does our shopping cart and our commerce goes and spends time with end customers, usually in conjunction with a product team as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they'll spend time, you know, I don't know if you know, we have a history of something called a follow me home at Intuit. Have you heard of this? No, I haven't heard of this. So in the earliest days, um, employees of Intuit would go to Fry's, for instance, Fry's Electronics. And we would say, if somebody bought a copy of Quicken, we would say, hey, can we follow you home? Oh, no kidding. Now, it wasn't creepy back then. Uh, It it doesn't sound creepy now. (laughs) Maybe a little bit. Maybe maybe it's a little riskier now uh, in today's world. But the point was to go watch somebody in their environment unbox the product, how they installed it, how they first set it up. And so that concept of follow me home or follow me to the office really started with us 36 years ago. That's fascinating. Uh, in the founding of the company. And, you know, from Scott Cook, our founder, the belief is you can't really understand a customer until you go observe them in their environment. Uh, you know, we do software for small businesses. You don't really understand what a small business owner is facing until you go see their environment and where they're trying to do their accounting might be in the back of their coffee shop or it might be in the back of their you know, mechanic shop or it might be at home. And understanding that context is super helpful. So that translates to IT as well. That's fascinating. Um, I love that idea. That's pretty cool. Follow, follow me home. Um, do you find, we should do that with the podcast. Like, wait, where are you listening? I, we have people say that stuff all the time. Like, oh, I listened, the other day I listened to that episode with uh, whatever in the shower. And I was like, 
I don't need to know that. <laughs> right. You don't need to tell me where. There are some places you don't want to follow yeah, people. Yeah, don't follow people to the shower. Um, what are some of the, uh, or what's one, uh, huge challenge that you had over the pa- past five years that you didn't see coming? I don't know that I would say I didn't see it coming, but I think the biggest challenge that I think any IT shop has, and we certainly have, is the pressure to build out the new stuff, to get to the cloud, to provide new things while operating all the old stuff flawlessly. Yeah. And trying to get, I think the hardest, actually this is maybe the part that is harder than I expected it to be. It's getting the 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 users of these systems, if you will, you know, the products who are using the billing system or are using the, the CRM system, to get them to do the work they need to do to move from the legacy system they're on to the new system. And I thought it would be much easier to just sequence into their backlog and get that done. And what I find is continually new ideas from the product teams trump getting off the old stuff. You know, it sounds logical in hindsight, but I thought it would be much easier and much uh, quicker to kind of move people off. And I'm finding that balance, and for very good reason. Sometimes it is the right thing to do a new feature or to fix a bug in the product versus moving it from a legacy system. But those trade-offs are much more nuanced than I expected them to be. Well, yeah, you don't get promoted for uh, being the best person who moved off the legacy software, right? Like, you're like, hey, uh, you know, I'll start for Catherine. She was the one who integrated uh, whatever tool faster than anybody else. Like, right. <laughs> that ain't going to be a bullet on your uh, evaluation or whatever. That's right. That's uh, right. Yet it's vital. And so it, it's a very strategic conversation you have to have. Do you think that um, that the way those legacy systems, um, you know, evolve over time, and that like the technical debt that we talk about, do you think that the that cycle, like the time to get rid of those things, is shortening uh, or is it lengthening? <laughs> it's definitely shortening. Well, it, I mean, just in my own tenure as CIO in five and a half years. I'm already beginning to replace stuff that I put in five and a half uh, years ago. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, and I think it's about that time as a CIO, when you start replacing stuff you did in your first year, it's time to say, oh, well, what am I doing here? Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's definitely going quicker. Isn't that the funny thing, though? You're like, we, I was so proud of the best implementation yes, I've exactly. ever had in my life. It was great. One of the things I'm most proud of. And then all of a sudden you look back and you're like, and we got to pull that. <laughs> yeah, but it also gives you some humility for your, you know, your predecessors. You know, it's never a good idea to say whoever was in the seat before you messed things up, because they were making the best decision at the time too, and sometimes that was you. What about uh, one of the things that you thought you really, really nailed in terms of whether it's an implementation or just some type of initiative uh, that you've done over the past five years? Yeah, you know, there's. Um, it's always hard with some of these projects because they take a while to bear fruit. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, one of the best ones we've done is a, uh, a new commerce system. Uh, we started off in the, in, the, in the cloud natively, nothing on-prem. The speed at which we were able to stand up and actually start to deliver incremental value and, as opposed to saying, we'll be done in six months. Yeah. To be able to say, hey, next quarter, you're going to have these five capabilities. And then two weeks after that, you're going to have this one. And then three weeks after that, you're going to have this one. And to actually start to hit that and see the energy it gave the IT organization to be able to deliver in that way and to see the confidence from the, the business unit partnering with them grow, that was pretty exciting. What about... Um 
innovation. How do you foster you know, a culture of innovation? How are you doing things like hackathons and citizen development? Like how do you how do you engage both your team and employees internally on, you know, being entrepreneurial, like you kind of mentioned earlier? Yeah, I'll talk about a couple of things. I mean, in general, we have a whole system around uh, customer-driven innovation, where we believe in deep customer empathy, uh, kind of back to the follow me homes, but also just developing uh, customer empathy, and then really kind of going broad with many possible solutions and the narrowing and having a hypothesis-driven testing culture Mm -hmm. and trying to get people to really try many things as opposed to thinking they have the right answer. So we truly try to foster that approach. Uh, Another thing we just did uh, for the first time, we had a a global engineering days. For one week, uh, five work days, we had all the technical folks in the company essentially put their keyboards down uh, on their normal projects, and they got to work for five days on whatever they wanted to work on. Uh, and they were able to self-form teams, and we had over th- over 3,000 people do it. Uh, we have about 4,000 engineers total in the company. We had about 3,000 participate. And we had over 1,000 teams self-form. And all they had to do was put an entry in a database and say, what was the outcome they were trying to go for? And we really encouraged them to try to have something at the end of the week to ship, to push to production. Uh, And it was so energizing across the entire company to see teams form across, like, um, there were over, I think there were over 140 teams from the IT organization participate in that as well, of the 1,000. And multiple teams also had somebody from IT, somebody from a product unit, somebody from a central team really working together. And it was cool to see what the engineers were working on. They were working on things from, you know, a better monthly review system with your manager to better ways to work with the cafeteria, but also better things for the customers, the yeah. features that they'd wanted to work on. And so that really unleashed a lot of innovation across the organization. And what we're trying to do now is have them carry that way of working into their regular way of working and being much more self-empowered. What about finding talent? Where do you look to, you know, obviously here in the Bay Area, talent super hard to get, especially engineering talent, IT talent. Um, where are you looking for opportunities to, to find the best folks? Anywhere we can find them. <laughs> um, you know, we, one of the nice things about us is, you know, our mission as a company is to power prosperity around the world. That draws a lot of people. Uh, it's a very exciting mission. I think we're beginning to really deliver on that. Uh, through some of our products. And I think a lot of people want to come and do that. We also have, you know, really hard problems to do that at scale, uh, to manage the data that we have and to begin to give insights back to customers with that data. So we're finding that a lot of people really do want to join in the mission uh, once we can find them. And once we get them over the fact of not knowing who Intuit is necessarily and kind of show them what products we have and what we're working on, it's pretty good. But, but we look anywhere in the world. Um, you know, we have a development center in Bangalore. We have great talent there. Uh, development centers in San Diego and Mountain View and all around the world. So in the prep for this episode, uh, I learned a little bit about alignment triangles and how uh, Intuit uses them, but it was something I wasn't really familiar with. Can you share like what those are and, and, and how you all use them? Um, so the con- we learned the concept from uh, General Stanley McChrystal. Uh, he wrote about it in his book, uh, Team of Teams. And the whole idea behind the alignment triangle is how do you get a large dispersed organization kind of aligned around a common mission uh, and how they're delivering against that mission. And, you know, Intuit as a company, we've grown up 
uh, with lots of different great products, but now it's important for us to deliver the right customer experience we want to do to be more aligned. Mm-hmm. And so this is what it was a tool we brought in where as a company, we have one mission, powering prosperity around the world. And we have one set of values and we have one um, uh, approach to do that, one true north set of true north goals. But then the different organizations can have different strategies and priorities and metrics to deliver against that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And so every team has an alignment triangle. At the top of the triangle is the mission. Underneath that is the true north goals, or values rather, excuse me, and true north goals. And then that common picture binds everybody. And then you can show how you deliver against that by filling out the rest of the triangle with your priorities. And so basically anyone from the um, you know most entry-level person in the company knows where they fit into how they align up to the mission. Exactly. That, that's the ideal. Not to be confused with the mission, the company that creates this podcast. Maybe you need an alignment triangle for your mission. I know. We do. We do. Um, what technologies are you excited about going forward and that, that you're working on? I know specifically AI is of interest. Yeah. You know, one of the things about us as a company, we've been around 36 years and we've evolved multiple times. We started out with a DOS product and then we went to mobile and then web and now cloud. And the newest one that we're super excited about is AI. And we're kind of taking a slightly different twist. Um, We're trying to really use AI to advantage our customers. Uh, One of the great places I like where we've been doing it for a while, actually we started it's over 10 years ago now, we started something called Live Community, where TurboTax users could help each other. And we started introducing some algorithms there to kind of coalesce the common answers and to maybe suggest answers yeah. and bubble answers up. And there was a little bit of an algorithm behind that. I don't know if I would have called it AI, but it was the early idea uh, of how to add a little bit of machine learning into that process. Uh, and that was really our first foray. But we've done things now where... You know, as you're filling out your tax form in TurboTax, we're in the background with a with an engine, looking as you're filling things out what most people like you do. Yeah. Uh, and then we're trying to not ask you questions that are irrelevant. And you could do that with like a really big decision tree, but you can do it much better with a real machine learning algorithm. Uh, and so we're trying to get a much better, tighter tax experience. That's one thing we're doing. Uh, some of our categorization things we're doing, and ultimately. We really want to make sure that you as a, as a customer are not having the drudgery of entering numbers and crunching numbers, but more getting to better insights and having better conversations with your accountant or your financial advisor. And so we're really excited about how to apply AIML to some of the big data sets that we have. So that's, and it's bearing some interesting fruit already. You know, um, it's interesting. Well, actually, I'll just ask this as a question. You know, with a suite of products that are so seasonal and timely um, where you have like, you know, obviously massive traffic spikes and all of that Um, massive, like, you know, everybody's working uh, a lot during those hours, but then you have other products that aren't that way. How do you look at that from an IT perspective? Well, you know, in in a way we are the, the canonical users of public cloud uh, to be able to flex up and down with demand. Uh, because you're right, we do have huge peaks. Uh, and we we are now, although you, you think of the products as peaky and you think of your taxes as something you do only once a year, it's really better if you think about your taxes all year long and you do planning, because uh, then you'll have a better tax experience at the end. Uh, and we're trying to move more in that direction of helping users and customers throughout the year do better tax planning and maybe reduce a little bit of that spikiness. But, you know, as a as a 
a technology provider, though, you have to plan for that. And you have to um, make sure that on that, you know, April 15th, 10 o'clock at night, that you're not going to go down uh, for your customers. So we do a lot of um, high volume testing in production uh, when we're not in peak. Uh, we do a lot of war games. We do a lot of, you know, chaos kind of exercises uh, throughout the year uh, and surprise teams on what we do uh, to them and see how they react. And it just really makes us much stronger doing that. Let's get into the lighting round. That sounds dangerous. Fast and easy. Oh, no, it's not, not dangerous at all. Okay. But you just have no idea what's coming. All no right. no preparation for these questions. Um, fast and easy questions. Fast and easy, just like the lighting platform from Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps to learn how you can build fast and easy mobile apps with the lighting platform. Fast and easy questions. Are you ready? Ready. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? The most fun? Uh, Foreflight. What is your favorite book or podcast that you've listened to or read recently? Uh, the Invention of Nature. Ooh. It's about a guy named uh, Humboldt, who uh, there's so many things named after him, and we don't know anything about him. I love anymore. it. You, do you know him at no, all? No, I'm so in. I mean, I, I grew up in Northern California, so. Do you know I, the name Humboldt? Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. Humboldt Redwoods. And yeah. Humboldt, yeah, he was one of the most famous scientists, and on his 100th birthday, most major cities around the world celebrated it. And yet we don't know who he is much today. He's The Humboldt Current is named after him. So anyway, he he was the first guy to really have this concept that nature is a set of systems and to describe it as nature. Uh, so it's worth a read. I just that is incredible. I'm so in, man. That's great. We'll link it up in the show notes. Um, yeah, that's like one of those. Uh, I forget who popularized this, but once they could look at um, plants in uh, time lapse, when you see plants in time lapse, and it's like, oh, this is like their speed. Like mm-hmm. plants are are like growing. Like we all know that, but they're just a lot slower than we are. But when you see them like in their full speed, they're like, man, they're, they're like active. moving around. Yeah, they're, they're pretty pretty active. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyone listening wants to sponsor a nature show we're in. Um, what is your favorite vacation spot? Favorite vacation spot? I don't know that I have one yet. I like to go to different ones all the time. What about your most recent one? Most recent um, kind of relates back to the Humboldt book. Uh, I went to the Galapagos. Oh, awesome. So, it's, it's a life-changing event to go. What do you do for fun? Uh, I fly. Oh, cool. What do you fly? I've got a Cessna 182. Oh, awesome. What about your favorite use of AI or chatbots that you've seen recently? Well, it's going to have to be an Intuit example, of oh, course. Sure. Um, some of the chatbots we've released, uh, it's called QuickBooks Assistant that actually allow customers to ask, ask natural language questions about accounting things uh, and get back answers. It's pretty cool. What is your best advice for a first-time CIO? It's to really be curious about the business your company is in and deeply understand that. What question do you never get asked that you did not get asked today that you wish you were asked more often? I guess it would be, um, well, I, I get asked this sometime, but like, why would you, why, why do you stay working in IT? Why do you stay working in IT? It is the most fun job in the company because you're in the middle of it all. You get to understand how a company works and you can be a major factor in the success of a company if you can really advantage it through technology. You know, as companies are digitizing today, 
They will fail if they're not highly technical. And being in IT, you can make that happen. What does the CIO of the future look like? 10 years down the line, what is, uh, how does the role evolve? I think the role evolves to be much more an enabler of multiple people using technologies across an enterprise. And they're much more focused on life cycle management of technologies that are going to get shorter and shorter as opposed to implementing specific pieces of tech. That's it. That's all we got. Awesome. This was great. Yeah. Anything to uh, anything to plug? Anything our listeners should check out? Uh, well, I would say check out Intuit Careers. Are you we hiring? Have, we are hiring. We're a great place to work. Awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out. Great. Thank you. Thank you again to our friends at Salesforce and MuleSoft. MuleSoft just introduced API Community Manager, setting a new standard for successful API strategies. For the first time, companies can easily build connected digital experiences for their API products, empowering anyone to quickly collaborate and co-create value with a broader ecosystem of developers, partners, and employees. Learn more at mulesoft.com platform. <laughs>